Good to be back with you guys. Um, so many of you guys know me. Um, I'm Eric. I was an intern here for a, a year while I was courting my wife, Bethany. Um, and then we got married, and I was like, all right, I got what I came for. Let's go to Hawaii. Um, and so, <laughs> so we were in Hawaii for five years pastoring, and then um, in 2020, we moved from Hawaii back to the mainland to begin raising support to go as missionaries to East Africa to work with my dad, uh, my Uncle Steve's older brother out in Tanzania, and work with the church leaders out there, continuing to train East African church leaders and East African missionaries. Um, and so it's, been, it's just been an exciting time. It's been amazing. I was with you guys earlier in January, um, so I gave some of a report then, but it's, it's just been, I've been so blessed to be a part of the work that's going on out there. Um, every, every, when I was teaching, I would just be driving home and be like, man, God, I can't believe that I get to do this, um, with my life. And, uh, so thank you guys so much for partnering with us. Uh, we, we've, our, our class in Kigoma, last I saw it was about 70 students, um, in Kigoma. And that's just our diploma school. We also have the degree school as well. And that's just one of the schools that um, PEFA is involved with. Um, so it's just a huge opportunity, and we're just so grateful to have that chance to, to do that work. Um, within the U.S., okay, we have one trained Christian worker for every 250 believers. Okay? Outside of the U.S., it's about one per every 450,000 believers. So there's a huge disparity. There's a huge need to continue training more and more church leaders, more and more leaders to, to, to take up the mantle and to continue going with it. Um, and again, I'm learning so much. I'm enjoying it. I, I get to work with some awesome national leaders over there, um, Tanzanian and Congolese. Um, and just it's just, we're grateful. We're grateful to be there. Um, this morning, though, uh, I also get to, to give the message. And I wanted to talk to you guys about being strangers um, in this world. I don't know about you guys, but, but there, there, there feels like a, there's a different climate in the U.S. today towards Christians, um, as opposed to maybe 10 or 15 years ago. There's, there's just more, more hostility, a little bit more kind of guardedness against Christianity. And it's, there are so many people who are looking not just for freedom of religion, but freedom from religion in the U.S., um, and I feel like we just, I, I'm not a doom and gloom kind of guy by nature, um, but I, I do think that we as a church, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. We need to be able to stand when things get more difficult than we've grown accustomed to. Um, for many of us, being a Christian, the hardest part about being a Christian was really no different from the hardest part about being a human being while living in America. There wasn't an added difficulty because you were a Christian, right? Death, all those things that, that no, people normally deal with, hardship, whatever it might be, loss of a job, things like that. We thought, oh man, I'm suffering for being a Christian, but it's actually everybody walks through those things, right? But, but there's, there's something else as well that is growing and it seems to be becoming more and more prominent, which is just kind of this, this hostility or standoffishness towards Christianity. And um, 
it, I, I hesitate to even address this because Americans, we can be a little bit dramatic, to be honest, right? Every time there's an election, it's, you know, the Savior versus the Antichrist, right? It's the Messiah versus the Antichrist every time. Like, I've never been in the U.S. for an election where it wasn't that way, um, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and so we can be a little bit dramatic. And if somebody looks at us the wrong way for reading our Bible in public, we're like, oh, man, I'm suffering for Jesus today, right? Um, but I do think that, you know, we need to be durable, right? We need to be more durable than we've been in the past. Um, how many of you guys know what a glass chin is? Glass chin? Anybody know that term? Okay, it's a boxing term, right? So you have this guy, he's, he's built, he's like the perfect athlete, but if he gets hit just right in the chin, he's out. He's, oh, he falls over, right? And the same thing in, in many other sports. You can have a guy who, he seems like he's the perfect athlete, but every time he plays, he gets injured, right? He seems like he's so fit. He seems like he's so ready to, to go. But every time he gets in there, he's injured. And, uh, and it's very frustrating. Like if he's on your fantasy football pick or something, and it's like every single weekend he's injured. But in a lot of ways, I feel like in many, many times I have faith like a glass chin. Where it's like, I, I look good. I, I look like I'm doing well. But then something small comes along and it, it bumps me and it throws me for a complete loop. And I can't, and, and you know, it reminds me of a story in the Bible of Peter, right? Peter, he, he, he said all the right stuff. He, he made all the right promises. And when a little girl asked him, are you one of Jesus' followers? He panicked. And he's like, no, not me, right? That's a glass chin. That's a, a, a glass chin of faith. And many of us, because we've We've grown up in a culture where it was so easy to be a Christian. It was actually favorable to be a Christian that we developed basically a glass chin. And I, when I compare my faith to a lot of my brothers and sisters in East Africa, the things that they've walked through and the things that they have endured and the kind of faith that has been developed through that, I, I, I almost like shudder a little bit because I'm like, man, like, I, I think I'm, like, really sacrificing for the kingdom. And then I meet somebody who's gone as a missionary. He's living with his family, literally in the bushes, eating roots so that they can stay amongst this unreached people group. And I'm like, wow, what did I do? Right? What, 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 is, my, what is my faith in comparison to that? So I actually want to look at a book that was written by Peter, Glasschin Peter, because Glasschin Peter developed... A stronger chin, right? Last chin, Peter, he developed a stronger faith. And uh, I, want, I want to start off with his words. We're going to be almost exclusively in 1 Peter today. But I want to start off with his words in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Starting in verse 12, it says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I got to tell you, if, if, if we would just get this, about half of a pastor's 
pastoral counseling load would be resolved, right? Because so much of pastoral counseling is people come in and they're just like, I just don't understand why this is happening to me, right? I just don't understand why this bad thing is happening to me. Well, Peter says, don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised when trials, when difficulty comes your way as if something strange were happening to you. He's basically saying, it's not strange. This is normal. And for the majority of the world, being a Christian is going to cost you something. It's going to be costly. So, so if, if our culture is changing a little bit to the point where it's going to cost us more to be a follower of Christ, that's normal. Don't be surprised by that. That is what Jesus promised us. You know, in, in John 16, 33, Jesus promised, right? This is not one of those Bible promises that we typically name and claim, right? Or blab and grab. It's, it's in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. That's a, a, a Jesus promise right there, okay? Put that on your little three by five card and stick it in, in, in your mirror. Um, but in this world, you will have trials. That's a Bible promise. And yet he says, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And Peter goes on to say, but rejoice, verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. But rejoice. And I really think that that's the key, is we have to get beyond focusing on just the here and now, get beyond focusing on our, our comfy circumstances, and, and fix our eyes fully on the hope that's to be revealed when Christ returns. Because it's so easy, you know, in the parable of the, the, the sower and the seeds, right? What was the, the seed that got choked out? Anybody remember what it says about the seed that got choked out? It was the cares of the world, right? And the deceitfulness of riches. And, and let me share a little secret with you, church. You're rich. If you're living in America, you're You're rich. Okay, you're in the top 5% of the world. Okay, um, so, so we got to be careful because that verse is for us. If, we're not, if we don't guard our hearts, our, our faith is going to be choked out by the cares of this life. Right? This life. Um, we have to fix our eyes solely upon what is to come. Go with me to, to the beginning of 1 Peter. So I want to show you how Peter gets to this spot. Go with me to the beginning of 1 Peter. And we're just going to start in um, chapter 1. We're just going to start in verse 1. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, so Peter, he sets up, I, I love, um, I love first Peter because it, it does show us how, how somebody can be so changed, so radically changed by the gospel, right? Because in, um, in Galatians, we hear that Peter was still kind of working out some of his prejudices, right? Some of his religious prejudices against Gentiles. And yet here in first Peter, he's writing to a primarily Gentile audience. And yet he uses all the words of the Old Testament to describe them. All the words in the Old Testament used to describe the people of Israel, he uses those to describe the Gentiles. So it's kind of like you guys are fully part of this family, right? You, you the Gentiles, are fully part of this family. And one of the words that he uses is the elect exiles or the chosen exiles. And, and really that is how we should be thinking, right? That we are chosen exiles. Before we're American, before we are any other nationality, we are exiles. We are not home. And this is not our permanent home. And, and I mean, you know, if, if we get those two things in the wrong order, it causes all sorts of problems and it grows a weak faith. If I'm an American first and then a Christian second, my faith will never be strong because as America goes, so goes my faith faith you know and and <laughs> but but look at what peter says about what hope we have he says this he says he has called you to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead verse 4 to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled unfading and kept in heaven okay i mean what happened on friday right the stock market took a pretty big dip. That's an inheritance that is not imperishable, right? It's certainly not undefiled, um, <laughs> but <laughs> or unfading, right? That is up and down and all around, and, and especially these days with inflation and all that stuff. If that is what we're counting on to be our inheritance, it's fading, it's shakeable, it's breakable. And yet, if, if, if our hope is, is the salvation that's going to be revealed when Jesus Christ returns, that's, that's untouchable. Right? That's untouchable. That can't be taken from you. No matter what you are going through, no matter what your circumstances are like right now, it can't be touched. It's untouchable. But if we get confused about where our home is, then we're up and down with the rest of the world. We just go up and down with the rest of the world. And, and not only that, but actually, Peter goes on, to, and he goes on to point out that, that suffering and trouble actually makes this inheritance just that much sweeter. So if we go on in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. A little bit of context. This is probably being written under Nero. Okay, under under persecution of Christians, um, and so and and persecution by local governors and stuff. Um, so that's that's how Peter phrases this this great persecution that the church now looks back on as one of the bigger persecutions. Although compared to some of the later ones, it's, Nero's persecution wasn't that big, but it's it's pretty big, right? There are people being jailed, people being killed, 
And Peter just says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. One of, one of the most touching things to me um, about my grandpa's funeral was we sang two songs, um, Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory, and Only a Sinner Saved by Grace, together, um, which sounds to the world sounds like such an ox oxymoron, right? You're saying, you're saying you're a horrible sinner, and yet you're also saying you're full, filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And yet when we confess like, that we are only sinners, that we, have, we can only be saved by grace, that there's nothing good in us, then we receive this joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's such an oxymoron, and yet it's the good news, right? That when we come to the end of ourselves and we discover just how broken we truly are and throw everything, throw all of our weight on God, that then we receive this joy. So through our, our, the worst heartbreak of finding out just how bad we really are, we come to the greatest joy. And, and concerning this salvation, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what time person what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven things into which angels longed to look that that What's, what's Peter talking about here? He's saying, this is it, right? This good news, this is the thing that God has been preparing from time past. From eternity past, God has been preparing this plan. And it's something that angels are just like kind of on like their tiptoes, just like they were longing to peek into this wonderful plan that God has. Like, what is God going to do through Jesus on earth? No, what is, the, what is this plan that he's got going on? And the prophets, they're all trying to figure it out. And Peter is saying, this is what we have today. The good news in Jesus Christ is a thing that God has been preparing from eternity past. It is good, it is good, it is good, it is wonderful. And yet we, because we get so caught up in our daily little lives, we lose sight of just how good the good news is. We lose sight of just how amazing our inheritance is because we're looking at the things all around us. I love um, Tim Keller tells a story. When he was a young pastor, he preached this sermon about like all that Christ had done for us, how good God had been to us through the gospel, just the lavish love of God and all that we've inherited through the gospel. And he was counseling this one, this one girl and her parents, they came because the girl was having trouble at school. She was not popular. She was having trouble finding friends. No one would go on a date with her. And, and Tim Keller thinks to himself, oh, well, I just preached about this on Sunday, right? And when we go through difficult times, 
just fall back on the gospel, right? Because that's just, that's just how good it is. You know, that no matter how bad your day is, if you look at Jesus, your day is really good, actually, because you're, you're a co-heir with Christ, right? And so he says, hey, do you remember my sermon from Sunday? And she responded, like, she repeated it pretty well. He was like, for a teenage girl, that's pretty good, you know? She got the whole thing back to him. And then he says, okay, but how does that make you feel? Doesn't that just fill your heart with joy? And she said to him, what good is all that if you can't get a date? Right? What good is all that if you can't get a date? And for many of us, <laughs> that's kind of how we feel. It's like, yeah, Christ died for me, but I've got this problem. Glass chin again, right? Christ died for me, but, I've, but, I, but I've, I'm feeling bad, right? I didn't get that job I was looking for. And so, again, we're up and down, up and down, with just, just like the rest of the world. When we, have, we are the recipients of a gospel that the angels were longing to look into, that prophets were trying to figure out, they're like, man, who is this Messiah? How is it that God and, and this Messiah are going to ride into Jerusalem? How is that possible? How, how can this be? And, and yet we just kind of gloss over, yes, Jesus loves me, this I know. But the Bible tells me so, but mostly my parents because I don't really read the Bible. Um, but, you know, and, and we, just kind of, we just kind of go with it like, oh, it's just ho-hum stuff. It's not. It's not. This is the greatest news that could ever come. And if we really get this, if we really get it down into our very being, it'll change everything. And, and you know, Jesus said to count the cost, right? Count the cost before you follow him. We need to also count the profit, right? We need to count the reward as well. Um, you know, I, I, I love the, the story, the parable that Jesus tells of the man who finds a treasure in a field and he goes and sells everything he has, goes and buys that field. Why? Because he figured out that the treasure was worth more than everything he owned. He wasn't selling for a loss. He wasn't going home and saying, okay, I've got a lot of stuff, but I, I like that diamond, Right? No, he's going home, he sells everything because he knows that the treasure is worth more than everything he has. And similarly, we can go, we can give, we can do whatever we need to do, whatever, the, whatever God calls us to do, even if it's enduring hardship, we can do it because we've counted the profit as well. And we count it as gain to be in Christ. And so, it's an opportunity I really do think that this is an opportunity where the church is going to be purified, right? There's going to be some purifying that happens because people who prior to this, there was no cost, right? We're just following Jesus because there was no cost attached to it. It's kind of just like fire insurance, right? You'll, you'll be really glad if you have it, if your fire ever comes, okay? Um, but if there's a cost, there's some people who are now just stepping away. They're saying, you know what? That's not really for me. It's not as popular. I don't need to be a Christian to get a job at the local school or anything like that. In fact, if you are a Christian, it'll probably hurt you in getting a job at the local school. Things like that, okay? So as, as we move more into that kind of a, an atmosphere, we need to count the cost. And how do we live in the midst of this? I'm just going to do this very quickly. But in uh, chapter 4, Peter goes on and he says a few more things. Chapter 4 I'll start in verse 1. It says this. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. 
Peter is big on being sober-minded. That's one of the phrases that gets repeated over and over in this, in this book is be sober-minded, okay? Be sober-minded. Be realistic. And part of being realistic, if you're a believer, is thinking about your inheritance, thinking about what is to be given to you as a believer, right? Being realistic doesn't mean that we discount heaven. It means that we need to count it big time if we really believe it. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So there's a purification that happens when there's suffering. There is. So, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. And they malign you. Basically, they talk down to you. They talk bad about you. They, 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 they gossip about you, right? They malign you. They, they look down on you. And, and one of the things that I want to just encourage us with is, this is not a time to back away from our stance, right? This is not a time to back away from what we believe as Christians. This is not a time to, to, to mold, to conform to the pattern of the world, right? We don't want to be conformed to this world. We want to be transformed. And, and Peter here, he's saying, look, the persecution that comes, it's not a time to back away from our convictions. Um, I, I'm big on contextualization, right? We, we talk about that. It's, it's important. It really is. But contextualization is to avoid confusion, Okay? Conformity is to avoid persecution. Right? So, so contextualizing, that's important. We need to contextualize. We need to be speaking the language that people are going to understand, using illustrations that people are going to understand, using, um, yeah, just we need to be speaking to people on their level. But conformity is backing away from our convictions, not in order to be understood, but in order to avoid difficulty. And Peter here, he's, 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 he's saying, arm yourselves and don't, don't give in. Don't just buckle. Don't, don't, don't conform to the world. You're going to be maligned for this, right? You're going to be looked down on for this. And, and church, we don't need to, to, to conform to the world, right? Because if we conform to the world, we have nothing to offer them. We're just like them. Right? If we conform to the world, we have nothing to offer them. We're just like them. And again, not dissing um, contextualization. It's important. But make sure that in our contextualization, we're not just conforming. Make sure that in our contextualization, we're not just conforming. I'm going to end with one more, one more point, And it's this. If we go to um, 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 7. It says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Again, that term sober-minded, readying your minds for action. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I love this because Peter, he says, the end of all things is at hand. All right? The end is here, right? The end is coming. And what does he say? Panic, build, a, build yourself a little cabin out in the woods, hide from everything, you know, stock up on ammunition. No, he says, he says, continue loving, right? Continue loving, continue pouring yourself out. So how do we live in a world that's changing? The same way that we have always lived, right? The same way that, that, that Christians have walked in the first century, right? The, the first century Christians, they lived in a, a pagan society, Right? completely pagan, completely anti-Christian, and yet they won the Roman world through their generosity, through their love, through pouring themselves out. It wasn't just through miracles. When we read Acts, we could think it's through miracles, but if you look at the bigger historical picture, it was through their generosity, through their love, through giving themselves, they won the, the, they won the Roman world. And we likewise, we need to shine as bright lights. And this doesn't mean you know, sometimes when we talk about, like, Christ could come back any time, it's like, well, why am I going to do dishes if Jesus could come back tomorrow, right? Um, and and, and we, can, we can have that kind of a mindset of, like, well, pff, that doesn't matter. Jesus is coming back. And, and Peter, he says, the end is near, but, but do, the things and, do the things and have the disciplines that are going to build a church that will last a thousand years or two thousand years, Right? The parable of the virgins, I think, is one of those parables that's misunderstood a lot because we think it means get ready because Jesus could come, like, tonight, right? The parable of the virgins is actually teaching us, the parable of the ten virgins, for those who don't know it, there's these ten virgins, they have their lamps, they're waiting for the bridegroom to come, they fall asleep, they wake up, and their, their lamps don't have enough oil, okay? And because the bridegroom took longer than they expected. You know, we always talk about Jesus coming back sooner than we expect, but what if he takes longer than we expect? Right? What if he takes longer than we expect? Do we have, are we building the kind of community, the kind of church that could last until he comes back? Or are we just building matchstick communities where it's like, well, if he doesn't, you know, we're banking on Jesus coming back next year because if he doesn't, we're out of money, you know? Uh, <laughs> We're banking on Jesus coming back tomorrow because if he doesn't, we have, we've shut down all of our discipleship programs because, you know, we've got to focus on just getting people saved now, right? We need to be doing both at the same time. So I love Peter's sober-minded attitude where he says, be sober-minded. The end is near. Love one another. Show hospitality. Invite each other in. And so, church, if we want to develop a non-glass chin, if we want to develop a steel chin, we really have to allow the goodness of the gospel to soak into every part of our being. We have to allow the, the, the promise of the inheritance that we have to, to rule our lives, to be a louder voice than all the voices around us saying, if you have this, you'll be happy. There are so many voices just constantly clamoring for our attention. And if we do that, then you know, I don't know what direction America is going. 
I don't know what direction the world is going. And again, I'm not like a doom and gloom kind of guy. But if you, if you develop this kind of faith, right, this kind of faith that is so in love with Jesus, that, that considers him so worth it, then whatever comes, there will be tears, there will be brokenness, but whatever comes, we can endure it. We can go through it. You know, Peter, um, church history, a, a lot of church legend around Peter and how he died. A lot of people say that he was crucified upside down um, because he didn't feel like he was worthy to die in the manner of his Lord. Okay, Whether that's true or not, more than likely he was killed under Nero. So again, glass chin Peter went from being scared of a little girl to standing up to the, to the emperor and saying, no, I'm not going to forsake my Lord because I've counted the cost. It's worth it. Even if you crucify me, even if I die the same kind of death that my God died, it's worth it to me because he counted the cost. And we won't be so easily nicked and broken every time somebody looks at us wrong for opening our Bible at Starbucks. But we'll be able to take that and more and we'll be able to, to, to stand in true faith. And whatever direction the country goes, I, I, can't, I don't want to say it won't matter, but it, but it won't bring us down with it. Amen? So we're going to go to communion now, and I would just encourage you, just take this, you know, it, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Take this as an opportunity just to get excited again about what Christ has done for us, what he's accomplished for us, and your position in Christ now as a co-heir of Christ. Not because of what we have done, not because we've lived such holy lives, but because he lived the perfect life and gave it for us. So, welcome. So, Lord, we are so grateful for your goodness, for your grace to us, for giving us something worth living for, dying for, passing on, for this community to march with, walk with. Now as we go, would you give us clear vision of you so that we can see you in the people we confront, that we can hear you in their voices. Give us the clarity of vision of your treasure. So now in the name of our Father who loves us so much, of Jesus who gave himself and died for you. The spirit who empowers you as you go. Go and be the people of God. Filled with the spirit of God. For his purposes for all peoples. Amen.